from these women who had faced struggle after struggle, hardship after hardship, losing loved ones, uh, being mistreated. And time and time again, these women felt like they had no one to turn to. But you also see in that film, if you watch it, it's called The Help, for those of you who might want to go and have a look at it if you haven't seen it already. Uh, these women hold tightly to a faith in God. And it causes me to ask the question of, in times of struggle, in times when hardship just seems to come time after time after time, how can we turn to a God who is seemingly distant or seemingly not there? It can sometimes feel like there is a God who is putting us into hot water situations. Now, hot water is one of those really bizarre things. You're going to go, really? Surely it's just water. It's this random common thing that is available quite freely in this country. Um, but, but hot water can have different effects depending on what it is there for. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had an amazing experience with hot water. I was able to head down to the Peninsula Hot Springs, which is this naturally occurring hot springs, just a few short moments from Melbourne, about an hour and a half, uh, and you get to go and you just sit in water, ranging in temperature from about 32 degrees up to about 48. Uh, it's quite delightful. And this hot water gives you those times where you can just sit and relax and you can soak. I see some of you wishing you were there now. Uh, if you don't have a chance to get down to the Peninsula Hot Springs, you could run a bath, um, pop some salt in it, pop some minerals. might have similar effect. Um, but hot water in that situation is amazing. And yet in another situation can cause us pain. I remember as a kid, I was trying to prepare breakfast in bed for my mum because I loved her. I still do. I shouldn't say loved in the past. I still love her. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to prepare her breakfast in bed and I'd, you know, burnt some toast and I'd smooshed some butter onto it and probably it was disgusting, I'm sure. But as I was trying to make my mum a cup of tea, I was pouring the water and I slipped and the water burnt my hand. And I still have a bit of a scar on my thumb from it, um, from, from this boiling hot water that caused me pain and agony. The same substance in different situations has different effects. Um, There's something about hot water that can have a bizarre effect on how we respond. You can boil a, a, a pot of water, a kettle, boil a kettle. It can be a real comfort. You can make a cup of tea. If it's early morning and, and you're like some of the people who are here who hate early mornings, you might need to make a cup of coffee. Um, and yet at times it can feel like it is taking forever 
Have you had those moments where you're sitting there and the kettle's boiling and all you really need to do is run out of the house because you're running late for your 9am staff meeting and you have to make a cup of coffee before you get there because really you know you're just not going to be able to face the day without it. And you're waiting for this cup, this pot or this kettle to boil and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and it feels like it is taking an eternity. It's interesting how a minute or two can feel like an hour. You see, we live in this fast, instant world where we want a quick fix, particularly to pain. We get exasperated when we have to wait in line, even if it's, you know, we go to somewhere like Macca's and we go, come on, I want my chips now. And they take three minutes to get them to you and it's very frustrating. Or when uh, you're stuck in a traffic jam and if you're like me, you're running late because you often run late. I'm often called last minute Lucy for a reason. Uh, and, And you're running late and you just get so frustrated because you're stuck. And we want these quick fixes. We want things just to happen. We don't like having to wait for the kettle to boil. We don't like having to wait two minutes for our noodles to cook. We don't like having to wait 30 seconds to reheat something in the microwave. It feels like an eternity. And it can be the same when we approach God. We want a God who will be a genie, who will give us an instant fix. We live in such an instant society where we can get things at the drop of a hat and when we have to wait, we really, really struggle. We expect instant answers to our prayers, instant salvation for our loved ones. We expect instant guidance to every obstacle, every situation, every decision. And even when we ask God for patience, we say, God, give me patience and give it to me now. We don't like waiting. And this can be particularly true when you're in a hard situation. Those moments when you think, I don't get you, God. I don't understand what you're doing. Can there be a good God when there's all this horrible stuff going on in my life, in the world, in situations that we have no control over. And we can even be led to ask, is there a God at all? Those times where we see injustice and we want to cry out like Skeeter did and say, why won't anyone do anything? How can there be a God when we see so much struggle? You know, there are times when we just struggle to understand God's ways and why he is doing different things. I have a few objects here. I have a carrot. I have an egg. Let's not drop that one. And I have some coffee beans. Each of these responds differently to hot water. This carrot is hard. Cracks. I'm going to pop it in there. I'm going to add some hot water to it. We've got an egg. 
There's another one in here. I'm going to add some hot water to that one. And I've already crushed up some coffee beans, ground them up this morning. They're in this pot. I'm going to add some hot water to that. Boiling water, it was boiling. We're just going to leave those there and we're going to come back to them. And while we do that, I just want to pick up on some stuff that was spoken about last week. You see, last week Troy introduced us to a little known character in the Bible called Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk was a man who was struggling to understand God's ways. He was a man who was having to wait for answers. Troy spoke last week about uh, how he was struggling with the fact that God was silent. He looked around. Tim, do you want to pop that up? Uh, He looked around and this is what he said. He said, wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralysed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Everywhere that Habakkuk looked, life was not good. And it seemed that God was being silent. He was crying out to God in prayer, asking that God would come in some way. And that God would speak to his people, that God would heal them, that God would revive their souls and bring them back. And no matter how much God, how, how much Habakkuk prayed, it seemed that there was absolute silence from God. Silence is a really hard thing to handle. It's one of those ways of God that we just don't understand. But this week we see that God did actually answer and here's what he said. He said, look around at the nations, look and be amazed for I am doing something in your day, something you wouldn't believe and even if someone someone told you about it, I am raising up the Babylonians. Now you might go, okay, good, I'm raising up the Babylonians. But what what God actually said to Habakkuk shocked the pants off him. He was there going, excuse me, what? Please come at me again. You're raising up the Babylonians. You see, the Babylonians were the arch enemies of the people of Israel, the people of Judah. They were the arch, like they were their worst enemy. And God said to Habakkuk, I'm not being silent. I'm actually doing something. And let me tell you about it. It's amazing. You're not going to believe it. I'm actually raising up the Babylonians. And what Habakkuk goes on to explain is one of the most confusing passages I have ever read in the Bible, let alone had to preach on. So thank you very much, Troy, for giving me this passage. You see, God tells them that he's raising up the Babylonians. Uh, If you're interested, you can read in 2 Kings, which is another book in the Bible, about exactly what happened. But what we see is that the Babylonians would eventually destroy the people of God. 
They would tear down their temple. They would carry off most of God's people and make them live in exile far, far away. And God says, it's all right. I'm doing something. I'm not being silent. I'm building up these Babylonians to come and take you. Great. Thanks, God. Really appreciate that. You see, what God is promising here is absolutely terrifying. But who are these Babylonians? Well, they were warlike people, very skilled in battle. And unlike Habakkuk and the people of God who looked to God for justice, the Babylonians took justice upon themselves. They were their own highest authority. They decided for themselves what was right and wrong with no reference to God. Sounds a little bit like how much of our world can respond to situations. When people feel like they need no moral code. When people feel like there is no absolute right and absolute wrong. When people feel like they're the ones who can decide for themselves what is best. Not realising that there is a much bigger picture. Habakkuk had been crying out because he saw evil everywhere he looked and God heard and God was going to act, but in his own way. You see, God said that he was going to punish the wickedness of his people by using the wickedness of the Babylonians. It just doesn't make sense. Why would a God who is a God of love turn around and say, I'm going to use something more wicked than you in order to respond to the wickedness that you guys have been doing? You see, it's important to remember here that the Hebrew people were not saints. They were turning their their backs on God. They were being self-righteous, selfish, and under the guise of doing it by being right in God's eyes. It reminds me of a story that you find in the New Testament. It's a story about a young woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. And in this story, we hear about how there's a crowd gathered around her and how each of them have a stone ready to throw at this woman in order to kill her. These people who were gathered around her were God's people. They were ready to judge. They wanted to judge this woman because she was doing something that was horribly wrong. But then Jesus comes into the picture and he bends down and he writes something in the sand And he looks up at the people and he says to them, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. If you've done nothing wrong, if you've never done anything bad in your life, hold on to that stone and throw it. But if you've done something wrong, you might want to think twice. And slowly, one by one, the stones begin to drop. Thump. Thump. 
thump. As one by one, people realise that they too are not perfect. That they too aren't always in the right. And it's left with Jesus and this woman standing there. And he says, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. You see, this story reminds me that whilst we can be really judgmental, we don't like being judged ourselves. And this is kind of the situation that was happening with the Babylonian, uh, sorry, with, with the people in Habakkuk's day. Is that Habakkuk was pleading for God to save them, to have mercy on them. And God said, you know what, you guys have been doing stuff wrong. And I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge the Babylonians too, don't worry. He goes on to say that the Babylonians will have justice for what they are doing to you. They will be put to, put to, te- put to, the, put to death. I am going to deal with them, but I'm also going to deal with you. We like to judge the wicked, but we don't want God to judge us. But we have to understand that God's ways are just. And God will see what we do as much as he sees what everyone else does. And while we don't understand it, we have to know that judgment is coming. It's a bigger topic than I can address with all the other things that are going on in this passage. But we have to understand that there is a God who will judge everyone. And we won't understand his ways. We won't understand what he is doing. God is a God of mercy and grace, but also a God of judgment. Can we really expect him to judge others without also judging us? The reality is, is that we don't understand what God is doing much of the time. Like the injustice and abuse and hatred we saw in the film clip. Or the story that we heard of Wes, from Wes, of a young dad getting cancer. And not understanding why pain and struggle can come. Or of people who have lost jobs and had to leave their homes. Of affairs, of abuse, of neglect. The list goes on for things that we don't understand what God is doing. Why does God let these things happen? The simple answer, it's not very simple at all, but he's God. And we are not. This is what God told Isaiah a little later on in the Bible. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Sorry, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't understand God because we are not God. If we had all the answers, we'd be God and then we wouldn't have any problems. And if we really knew everything God was doing, he wouldn't be God. He'd be small like us, simple and limited. 
But God isn't. God is big. And God is powerful. There's a song that little kids sing. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was beautiful. I was waiting. I'm very pleased somebody picked that up. You see, there is nothing our God cannot do. He is big. He is mighty. And because of that, we don't understand his ways. I would love to have been able to find in my research in this week uh, just how we can understand God's ways and being able to give you a nice three-point plan in understanding the ways of God. But unfortunately, I could not find that because we are small. Some of us smaller than others. We are limited. But we have a God who is not. He's mysterious. And sometimes he's impossible to understand. But that's because he is God. And because he is so much more than we could ever grasp or imagine, we have to understand that God is fully in control. Does that mean that he's in control of the bad? Yes. Does that mean that he's in control of situations that we don't understand? Absolutely. Does it mean that he causes all these things to happen? I don't know. That's quite a big question. But certainly in this case, he says, I'm in control of this. I am raising up those Babylonians and they are going to come and destroy you. You are not going to understand it, but I am going to have my hand on it. And it's going to be okay in the end. You see, God was fully understanding the Babylonians' evil ways. There are a lot of people out there who see good and evil as two equal and opposite forces, fighting for all eternity. Yin and yang, light and dark, forever trying to fight and work out which one is going to win. They think it's this big cosmic struggle. That evil is something that can't be controlled or defeated. But the thing about having this mighty, powerful, majestic, huge God is that he is in control of everything, including evil. You see, he has won the war. He's won. But we're still in the battle. And it's not going to seem like a fair fight. There are going to be times where we don't understand why God is doing what he is doing. And I don't know why. But God does. And God has a reason for what he is doing. Everything happens according to God's purpose. According to God's plan. And that plan is a good plan, even though we look around and we struggle to understand how he could be doing what he is doing. I look at situations and I go, at my own life, and I go, if there hadn't been for some bad stuff that happened uh, when I was growing up, I may never have found out who God was. If I hadn't have uh, joined the show that I joined and met the guy that I met and dated him and become a follower of Jesus, I may not be the person I am today. But I know that in all the things that have happened in my life, 
They have formed me to be who I am. And they are being used for God's plan. You see, God goes on in his conversation with Habakkuk to say that the Babylonians won't get away with what they are doing. That in the end, God will triumph. And I need to say that this is not meant as a glib response. There are far too many things going on in our world that are wrong, that we cannot understand. But we have to know that God is in control. But this doesn't mean that becoming a follower of Jesus will mean that everything becomes amazing. Can I apologise if you have had somebody who is a Christian tell you that God is all sunshine, lollipops and springtime? Because he is not. Becoming a follower of Jesus does not mean that life will automatically become amazing. That every pain and agony and situation that you've ever had to face that is horrible will go away. Because the reality is, is that bad stuff happens. We live in a fallen world that we don't understand. But God is in control. What we have in the last chapter of Habakkuk is his response. And he responds by turning and praying to God, having a conversation with God. You know, I sometimes wish that I could have that response more than I do. There are times when I like to just react to a bad situation and get frustrated and get angry and get impatient And sometimes I forget to pray. But I want to tell you that there is a God who listens. And he listens to Habakkuk. And he says, I am having my way, even though you don't understand it. I'm going to jump back to these nice little, pretend like they've been boiling over here. It's the art of being on a platform. Just pretend. We had three different objects that went in to three different pots. And I want to draw from them three things for you to remember the next time you come across these objects and you think, I'm in a time of struggle and I don't know how I'm going to respond. You can look at these three objects and you can see or you can remember how God is in control how God can use any hot water situation to bring about a change that he may need to bring about. The first thing we put in, actually the second thing we put in, was an egg. Now, the egg went in soft. It was gross. Yucky. But the egg, after it's been in boiling water, has been strengthened from a hard situation, from a hot water situation. It's found strength. It's found resilience. It's no longer fragile. You may find yourself in a hot water situation and you may be wondering, what on earth is God doing? How on earth is this situation going to be any use to anyone. God may be using that very situation 
to help you draw strength, to become more resilient, to become a stronger person. The next object we have, we had, was the carrot. The carrot went in hard, was broken up. But under hot water, the carrot becomes soft, becomes mushy, becomes yucky on my hands. Just wash it in that hot water. God may be using your hot water situation in order to soften you, in order to draw you closer to him, to cause you to rely on him. And finally, the last response to hot water was with the coffee. And the coffee responds differently to the other two objects in that the egg and the carrot were changed by the hot water situation. But the coffee is different because with the coffee, we see that what comes out, I'm going to do this over a pot because it could be bad, is actually a changed water. Because sometimes God uses a hard water, a hot water situation, a struggle situation, to actually change the very nature of the environment that we find ourselves in. He used the hot water situation of the cross that we still do not understand today to bring about a change that impacted eternity. He sent his only son to the most hot water situation you could imagine, being sent to death on a cross to bring about a change that would see us free from having to be judged for what we have done. Because Jesus paid the price and we don't have to anymore. It doesn't mean that God doesn't see the stuff that's going on. But it does mean that he knows what's going on. He is in control of what's going on. And he is able to use it to effect. I'm just going to pop those three images up. To remind us, if you're wondering, if you're looking through and you see an egg and you're in a hot water situation, maybe it's a time for you to draw strength. Draw strength from God. Draw strength from the people around you. Maybe it's about the carrot and using it as a time to be softened. In that time, remember times where God has helped you. What we see in Habakkuk's prayer in the third chapter is that he says, I will remember the things that you have done. I will remember the times where you have uh, been there for me. I will remember the good times and the times where I kind of understood what was going on. We'll remember those times. And in the last one, with the coffee, may it remind you to thank God. To thank God for how he's actually altering a situation. Or maybe you just need to thank him because it's a good time to drink a coffee because it's early in the morning. Whatever it is, this is what we saw with Habakkuk. The, the, the last couple of verses uh, in, in the passage says that Habakkuk, even though he did not feel like praising God, it says that he turned and he said, I will praise you. 
Uh, The message version says, I will be turning cartwheels for you. He was going to be joyful even though he was in a hot water situation. He was going to depend on God. He was going to look up to God. He was going to let God give him strength, soften his heart and alter the situation. As you're going through your weeks, can I encourage you, if you are in a hot water situation, to try and see how God might be using it. You don't know whether he's using it to soften you, to build you up, or to change the story around you.